a radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Jesus does not lie. And he told me, you're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He told me, this is my blood shed for you. He told me, whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. And I've heard the Lord's voice in the absolution, forgiven me. He's, he's told me that he, uh, that he loves the world, that he died for the world, that he shed his blood to save me and forgive me. He said it, and he doesn't lie. Those sins which we're supposed to be conquering have been conquered, not by our striving to overcome them, but have they been conquered by the death of Jesus. Those sins, even those pet sins that we're supposed to overcome, even the, the sins that we keep coming back to, those have been crucified with Christ. Uh, and now uh, sanctification is, is putting to death the old, the old Adam, the old flesh, by confessing our sins. I wasn't paying attention to what you just said. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Sorry, I was reading Facebook statuses. Bringing typical Fort Wayne grads to the world. This is Table Talk Radio. <laughs> That's right. That's what the world needs. <laughs> what the world needs now. Typical Fort Wayne grads. Oh, that's catchy. <laughs> uh, so what, what are we you doing? You surprised today? me with that, with that little phrase that you were thinking of. What's that? I like it. What, what the bringing typical Fort Wayne grads to the world? <laughs> Wasn't quite ready for it. Oh, you're not used to humor on this show, but yeah. once in a while. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, after buzzwords and emails today on Table Talk Radio, we'll be playing Name That Theologian. Oh, yeah. And then after that, Name That Church Body. So, we're just oh, going to yeah. be naming things today. So. Name it, you name it, and claim it, buddy. <laughs> this is one of the marks of our humanity is that we get to name things. Remember? Adam. Uh-huh. And the devil hates it when we name a thing, call a thing what it is. Particularly theological so games on a theological game show. fighting against the devil today. That's right. That's right. Well, I have a buzzword for you. All right. Because my boycott of Theopedia continues. <laughs> is this because it doesn't work? Is this? See, that's what I do. Like, if I can't show up to something, like someone invites me to something, like a birthday party... <laughs> Uh, yeah. And say I'm doing something else, so I make it into a boycott, just yeah, yeah. so I don't waste my absence. Is that what you're doing? Uh, well, uh, no, it's it's for a real reason, and that reason is that they got rid of their random article button. Well, that just means you, that just made it useful, <laughs> useless to you. It's true. I'm going to use Theopedia for mine. Okay, do it. Um, but I got to look it up first. You, you. In the meantime, my theological buzzword for you is pietism. And uh, look at this definition of pietism on tabletalkradio.org. It says that the theology that says progress in good works is more important than having right understanding of doctrine. That's what I think is it is. I think that's the right definition. I think you wrote that definition. <laughs> when did I ever write definitions for words? Yeah, we're not even tending to, but we're still self-referencing ourselves in the show. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Some things don't I, get old. I don't want to start that again. That was horrible. Table talk radio where things don't, never get old. Did, I think I said last time that that was horrible. <laughs> 
How do I look? Uh, you can't. There's not even a search button. I on know. Theopedia it's anymore. awful. Theopedia fail. They have, they're telling you what do I'm supposed to care about? Yeah, like double predestination or whatever it is. Uh, so my buzzword for you. What was yours again? Pietism. So this is when people are talking about hey, um, since uh, believing in the scriptures as they are taught um, clearly. Um, isn't very important. But what is important are the things that we can see, particularly the good things that we're doing for our neighbor. So this is this happens any time where uh, Christianity has to divide itself from um, those who are just believing. So <laughs> you, you get this, uh, that you have the, um, the true committed Christ follower. I mean, you just add more adjectives. Uh, true, Sincere. Yeah. The truly Urgent. sincere, committed Christ follower. <laughs> Things like this. Uh, well, why do you have to do that? Isn't just b- being a Christian, that is, believing in the promise of the gospel, enough? And um, you would say, no, 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 that's not enough, because you have to be uh, showing uh, behavior modification and, and growth and good works in order to be a true Christian. <laughs> behavior modification sounds so clinical. <laughs> well, that's what... That's, that's what they look for, like, right? It's, that's like, hey, are you uh, are you showing repentance and growth and works? And by that, I mean behavior modification. <laughs> well, that's what it is. Behavior modification a, sounds like something that happens at a camp. Quote, <laughs> camp, like a, like the uh, Biggest Losers camp. <laughs> yeah, right. Or like Auschwitz. How's your diet modification going? <laughs> that's true. We want to see some more. Behavior modifications up in here. <laughs> That's pietism, by the way. My buzzword for you is... Here it is. Adiaphra. Yeah. Adi, adiaphra free. Adiaphra is what you say in the church whenever you want to change something <laughs> that we've been doing for thousands of years. <laughs> False. What? what? <laughs> the church growth alert just went off. Um, Adiaphra means an indifferent thing or a thing upon which the scriptures have not spoken. So a thing that is neither required or forbidden in the scriptures and therefore is a matter of Christian freedom. So if a pastor wears robes, for example, that's Adiaphra. So anything that is neither commanded nor forbidden is uh, free to abandon, right? Is that is that... The thing that you're saying. There you go. Uh, or could there be things that we do for the sake of good order that are audiophora, but are useful for teaching the faith? I suppose there could. I, I just can't quite think of any, but I'm sure that. <laughs> I mean, th- I'm but, looking for this Facebook status that I want to read to you about audiophora. Okay, I can't find it. But but you're right. This is how it typically goes. So you have you have one person who walks in and says, "Well, the." The scriptures don't say that commanded that we have to sing hymns, so let's just ditch all the hymns. And you have a hundred people in your church looking around saying, "We all like singing hymns, <laughs> and right. hymns uh, remind us of the gospel of Christ. That that the, the word of God is embedded in these hymns. So I think that we'll keep them. Thank you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So when things are not when things are free, then a lot of other um, ways of thinking kick in. Namely, what is helpful for the gospel. How can I honor um, our fathers in the faith? Can I trust that there's some wisdom in the things that the church has been doing for thousands of years? That maybe on in these gray and latter days, if they don't make 100% sense to me, 
means that doesn't automatically mean I ought to abandon them? You know, one of the problems when we come to the question of Adiaphora is the, um, is we have no respect for the church of the past. So mm-hmm. we assume because this is part of the because we're Americans. part of the pride of of modernity mm-hmm. that we are the greatest thing since sliced cheese or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Bread or whatever was sliced. I'm against that that arrogance. So Adiafra, that's my buzzword for you. Now to the email. I got one here. This is from Gideon. Your FLFTFWG, which means faithfully listening future typical Fort Wayne grad. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. In episode 252, how many episodes have we done? Uh, 327, but at, at, Lord in have about mercy. half an hour, we'll have done 328. It's got to stop sometime. You made mention of a T-shirt with the phrase, quote, typical Fort Wayne grad on it. Reverend Gagline said you were working on it, but there was an issue with the clerical collar being built into the shirt. Now, as a future TFWG, typical Fort Wayne grad, I have no sense of humor. (laughs) (laughs) That's a requirement. It's like it's your theological interview when they when you got to see if you're orthodox enough to graduate. They sit there and tell you jokes just to make sure you don't laugh. <laughs> the, well, like they play they play Jim Gaffigan. It's blubber. Well, what I remember blubber. first before going to the seminary is you have your district interview in which they tell you cheesy jokes to see if you laugh. Yeah, um, and, so. and if you laugh at them, they're like, "You're headed to St. Louis, buddy." <laughs> All right, Gideon continues. Uh, I have no sense of humor, but I suspect the good reverend was being sarcastic and that there is no actual work being done on the shirt. (laughs) I would like to express my interest in the product and my strong desire to see if it completed clerical or no clerical. I think there would be a good market for it and would actively promote it on campus if there are some graduates, uh, if there is some guarantee of its future availability. Your... F-L-F-T-F-G-W-G, faithfully listening future typical Fort Wayne grad, Gideon. <laughs> nice. I think we could do it. So I'll, I'll put that on my to-do list right now. I'm adding it on there. All right. Make shirt. <laughs> typical Fort Wayne grad. Here's another one. Do we got time? This is from Lee. Pastors Wolfmuller and Gagline. First, thanks for all the work you do on the show. You're oh, welcome. Do we have time? We have about 27 seconds. On the recent episode, Pastor Wolfmuller asked if people were still getting baptized in rivers and creeks, to which Pastor Gagline responded that it's still happening. I wanted to email you and let you know that I was baptized in a creek next to the small independent Baptist church where I grew up. From there, I dabbled in fringes of word-faith movement. Once I got out of that, I went to Southern Baptist Church, eventually became Reformed. Don't worry, good pastors. My wife and I are now Lutheran. One question. We were both baptized in non-Lutheran churches where baptism an act of obedience and an outward sign. We were both baptized into the triune name, but they did not believe in its efficacy as taught in the Scripture. From what I've read and heard, the baptism is still efficacious, even if those performing it do not believe it, that it forgives sins. Is this correct, and could you discuss it on the show? Thanks, Lee. Well, we could if we didn't just have 10 seconds, so sorry. Sorry, Lee. No, no, (laughs) (laughs) No, we'll give you some time on the other side of this break, and then we'll play some Name That Theologian. You're listening to the one, the only, Table Talk Radio. What you say? Don't you come back no more, no more, no more, no more Hit the road, Jack 
Table Talk Radio. Well, we think we're funny. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. All right, Pastor, before the break, we got an email from... Yeah, a listener. <laughs> I already archived it. You archived it already? All right. Uh, That's how efficient I am on the Trello board <laughs> over here. You're too efficient for your own good. Uh, the question was about... It uh, was a question regarding being baptized in the crick by someone who does not believe in the efficacy of baptism, and it, the question was, is that baptism still valid? And the uh, answer is yes. Yeah, so I think what we were going to look that for the is... the Lord has... Oh, go, yeah, go. You're doing good. Good job. Yeah, the, ba- ba- the efficacy of baptism is bound up to the Lord's name. So Jesus says, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so that all those who confess Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the doctrine of the Holy Trinity... Uh, do in fact have valid baptism, even if they believe all sorts of wonky stuff about it. Right. So if if uh, baptism uh, was valid because uh, uh, the person doing it, <laughs> um, then then I think that we would have a case to say no, that wasn't about baptism. But because it rests, baptism uh, bestows the forgiveness of sins not because of the person but bestows the forgiveness of sins because of the word of God. It is the word of God that is efficacious. Remember uh, when God said, let there be light, or Jesus said uh, to, the, to the storm, be still, and it, and it happened? It's the word of God that bestows the forgiveness of sins. So whether that uh, word of God is, is bestowed by a nurse in the hospital or a Lutheran pastor or a Catholic priest um, or you know, anyone who, as, as you said, confesses the Trinity, um, that the baptism be done in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we're looking for that particular word of God, then that particular word of God is efficacious. It's not dependent upon the person. Now, what about this question? What if you have someone who baptizes in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and yet they do not believe in the doctrine of the Trinity, say, like, I don't know, Jehovah's Witness or Mormon or something? Yeah, see, I, I think um, that's why we're talk- why I'm talking about that particular word of God. Um, and that doesn't mean the vocables, the the sounds of the words, um, but what is the actual teaching, the meaning of those words? Um, so uh, you could, you could, you know, th- this is the same thing when we talk about Jesus, right? Uh, someone mentions the name of Jesus, and one person thinks of Jesus of Nazareth, who was born of of Mary and and uh, was crucified on the cross, and the other person uh, thinks of Jesus as this uh, internal power force that uh, helps them pick the right lottery tickets. Well, just because this the latter person believes. <laughs> In Jesus doesn't mean he's actually believing in the Jesus of the Bible, and so when we right. baptize, also uh, the name of the Father, Son, of the Holy Ghost, or something like that, it's not just the words that matter. It, 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 what is the teaching? What is the meaning behind those words? And again, that is the efficacious word. Got it. Done. All right. That's right. Well said. Well, let's go to some uh, name that theologian. The way this works is we read a theologian and then we try to name it. Okay. Any questions? Uh no. Okay. This Except is... for how do the how do the rules go again? Okay, first. <laughs> hey, I, I I do have a question about this because we haven't done this in a long time. How many quotations do I get? Three. Okay. Did you say that in the instructions? No. Uh, okay, so I get three quotations from a church father and or from a theologian, and then I got to guess who said it. Yes, that's it. You got it. How many points are on the line? As many. You get as many 
points is minutes it took to describe how this game works. Okay, here it goes. All right. Uh, where the pastor regards his people as member ministers, he will no longer be satisfied with mere audiences, but is compelled to alter his ministerial priorities to give every member... Wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I need you to give me a theologian that speaks English. I, I'm, I'm reading not, English. Not gibberish. <laughs> what do you not think this is? Not some sort of business-speak gobbledygook. <laughs> Sorry. I need some English-speaking theologians. I don't speak in tongues. All right. Let me try if I can harness the spiritual gift of translation here. You might have to close Facebook for this. Or at least minimize it. Half my orthodoxy tied behind my back. Okay, I'm going to try to translate this phrase by phrase. Okay, I'll start over. Where the pastor regards his people as member ministers... He will no longer be satisfied Member with ministers. mere audiences, but is compelled to alter his ministerial priorities to give every member a better understanding of his roles in home, church, and job as a member minister. You want to translate that? Oh, boy. I have more to read. Um, but... Yeah, okay. So here, let me just translate. We are not content being church growthy. We need to be super church growthy. <laughs> so we are... So I am not content uh, being a megachurch pastor where I am the celebrity pastor and everyone sits there and listens to me. I also want to deceive you into thinking that you also have the vocation of minister yourself. <laughs> right. Church <Okay>. now becomes... <laughs> you got it? Okay. Yeah. He, All right, keep going. He or she continues. This is not an easy task. Some very comfortable old no, images no. must be destroyed and new self-images built up. With church tradition so <laughs> oh, yeah. firmly entrenched, the initiative and leadership must come from the pastor. <laughs> he can begin with his board of elders, board of education, and the officers and leaders of all classes and organizations, from the nursery department to the senior citizens class, Change will not come quickly or easily. This is like it's from the 50s. But the pastor oh, will be amply repaid as he experiences a new sense of unity, fellowship, and joy in the people of his parish. Oh. Uh, we we want to redefine good works from the home to the church and thus destroy any hope that you have of living freely in vocation. <laughs> Continue. All right, well, that's your first quote. So you ready for Okay. Uh, let me just say here that um, uh, whoever said theologian is, and I already think the title theologian might be questionable. <laughs> yeah, sure. If I if I've got a beat on this guy, which I know the church growth guy is like the back of my hand, maybe even better because actually I don't pay that much attention to the back of my hand. But <laughs> I wonder where that phrase came from. Anyhow, uh, what he's saying is, you know, you have the megachurch model. The, 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 okay, okay, okay. Let me do. Let me do a little church history. This might be a little oversimplistic. <laughs> I don't know if anyone ever accused no. me of that before. No. <laughs> Sometime back in the '60s, everyone said our churches ought to be huge, and everyone said, "Yeah, let's make them huge." And then from that point on, like almost immediately, everybody in the huge church said. This isn't that great. And you see this by the almost instantaneous uh, arrival of things like small groups. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's like um, uh, uh, we, we, we like this huge church, but you've got to have the small group. And so then you have all these 
anti-large church movements in the in the <laughs> mega church already. So you got the small group movement, you got the micro church movement, you got the home church movement, you got the emergent church movement, you have the discipleship movement, all of which are um, saying that we are missing something in the mega church. Now it never occurred to anyone to go and say, well, maybe we shouldn't have mega-sized churches. Now, when you have the mega-sized church, your job is seemingly to fight against your own church from within. And and so you say, now, it's not enough for the people just to come to church and be passive recipients of the entertainment, etc. You've got to disciplize them. And the best way to do that is by making them ministers themselves. So your church becomes a seminary, your members become pastors, and their parish becomes their workplace, which guarantees that nobody wants to work in the cubicle next to your members. Wow. That's church history there. You right got there. it. Man, there's going to be a quiz next week. <laughs> All right, you ready for another quote? Oh, yeah. Okay. In many respects, the local church is stronger than ever. It is beginning to recognize that the world has changed, that the present structure of the local church is no longer adequate. <laughs> that it ministers to the private life but has failed to establish a, de- a, a depth relationship with its members. It needs to be established right. It needs to establish more of a servant shape of its Lord and not an attempt to domesticate the God who goes before. What does that mean? I don't know what that means either. The God who goes before? Is that like some sort of title? That's in quotes. Quote, domesticate the God who goes before, end quote, but it doesn't cite anything. Normally, I because I know the evangelicals like the back of my hand, I can translate this stuff, but I so but but didn't doesn't this fit into my paradigm or paradigm uh that I was putting forth before, which is to say uh that the megachurch has to be destroyed from within, and so we've ministered to people what did it say personally but not publicly? So we've transformed people's inner lives, but now we have to transform their outer lives. Well, here's the, here's the second half of that quote. Uh, it must practice brotherhood, not race and class discrimination. Worship dare not be detached from the agonies of the world of our day. Quote, the forms of this life of the church should depend on function. They should be uh, designated to facilitate locating and participating in the, the mission of God. This is not the situation now, end quote. Hmm. Again. I'm against racism, by the way. <laughs> it just so happens that... So th- this is the kind of... Um, there's a liberal-slash-liberation theology stream that has entered into the missionalist conversation via the emergent church. And it sounds like that this is tapping into a little bit of that there. Ah, yeah. Yeah, I think so. So with just a, a few seconds here before our next break. Um, so here, what I think the the theologian is saying is that uh, uh, the, the church as we know it is more about uh, race or social classes um, and is not addressing in worship the very needs of the day. So what we need to do is, is address the, the needs of the day and then tell people go how to be a good uh, missionalist for God rather than just coming to church to receive a bunch of things. Yeah, that's right. All right, we'll be, I have one more quote for you after this break. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. I can't wait. By that, I mean, I
many Table Talk Radio listeners does it take to change a light bulb? You'll probably have to settle for one. Welcome back to Table Talk this is Radio. like you're going to do a surprise round of Iron Preacher. <laughs> so hey, I'm far. Supposed to pre- I'm supposed to Iron Preach against uh, Ferdigan, Pastor Chris Hole, up at the <laughs> Brothers of John the Steadfast Conference in a, in a week or so. Sometime in February, that nice. is. Is Ferdigan a combination of Forty and Nestigan? Yeah. <laughs> Chris Hole, a.k.a. Ferdigan. <laughs> that guy has more nicknames than most people. I, I thought his nickname was <laughs> Mammon. <laughs> I did too. But I, I think, gave him the nickname Ferdigan, I think is more apt. They call him uh Pastor Mammon. Pastor Mammon Ferdigan. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like some sort of turn of the century revivalist uh like uh what's the guy's name? Mather? Cotton Mather. <laughs> like Cotton Mather had a his his partner, his associate pastor was Mammon Ferdigan. <laughs> some sort of seventeenth century Puritan name. Better write that down. So, so far, you have received two quotations from this mysterious theologian. Um, and uh, do you have your, do you have your, uh, any inclination? Where, where this I have be? no idea. Okay. I mean, these church growth guys are a dime a dozen. I'll tell you how you get to be a church growth consultant, by the way. I got, I got, there's two paths to it. So, but let's let's finish the game, and then I'll give you my particularly insightful. <laughs> How is your, by the way, your your private church consulting business going? Oh, I for, totally forgot about that. <laughs> what was it called? I don't. Remember. What was? Did it have a name? I don't remember. All right, here's here's our next table quote. talk church consultants. Your next and final quote is: In the last three decades, the church churches in the world have been reexamining their theological historical and missionary premises. Yeah. How do you okay. how do you reevaluate your historical premises? And it seems like that would be kind of set in stone, but anyway. They have done this largely in light of the church's mission and ministry in a world passing through a cataclysmic changes compared to those of the Renaissance and the 15th century Reformation. Yeah, the yeah. Focus See, today, do you remember how we started this show about how we're the greatest generation ever to be oh, and this yeah. is all this whole I, thing? I and the world is changing at a faster rate than it ever had before and all this sort of thing. It's kind of apocalyptic, you know? I mean, one of the things you got to assume is that, hey, we're in crisis, so we have a cultural crisis, which means, apparently... That we also have a, have to have a es- uh, 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 what we, what was the doctrine of the church called? It's not eschatology, ecclesiology. We have to have an ecclesi- ecclesiological crisis to go along with our cultural crisis. Okay, <laughs> hey, everybody else is having a crisis. We might as well have one too. <laughs> we want one too. <laughs> can we have a crisis? You guys out there having a crisis? We want to have. The, hey, that looks like fun. That part, can you share your crisis with us? Yeah, part of the tenth commandment is that you should not covet your neighbor's crisis. <laughs> I agree with that. <laughs> okay. Uh, the focus today is on the relation of the gospel to the church's task at the close of the 20th century. Oh, okay. Uh, hold on. 20th century. <laughs> I'm writing that down. That's a little uh, accidental secret- specific nugget. <laughs> I probably wouldn't have there. read that if I... Uh, <laughs> a secretary of South Asia Missions asks... Have we perhaps closed our eyes to the fact that in our day, the congregational shape of the parish is stiff, formal, and muscle-bound? 
It tends more muscle to, bound. That's what it says. Muscle bound. That it tends more to insulate from the world than to equip the saints for ministry in the world. You know, speaking of muscles. <laughs> are you trying to talk about me again? I'm trying to read here. I was, uh, you know, so I was talking to someone about the four languages of love. You know, you know, there's four love languages. You probably didn't even know about this. <laughs> there, and apparently some guy, some evangelical guy, I don't, I think he's evangelical. Maybe he's a Buddhist, wrote this book about... <laughs> The different ways we express love to each other, uh-huh. husband and wife. And I, we did a little research on that and found out that, you know what carries love language is? Huge muscles. <laughs> Which anyway, is good because that's the on. language that I'm always speaking. <laughs> See? Oh, my goodness. It's that in a huge head. All right. Uh, it... <laughs> That it tends more to insulate... Oh, you read that. Uh, I have to tell you that that joke that I made about my muscles is more theologically accurate than the nonsense that you're <laughs> quoting from this theologian. Then he suggests that the answers we are led to by the book of Acts might be in terms of a cell ministry or a house church or a group of five to eight congregations yeah, with see, assortment of gifts, personal or uh, more suitable for equipping all of God's people for their ministry where they are in today's society. Look, at dear church growth gurus, if you need like seven or eight ideas on the next new movement, just come and buy me lunch someday. We could just make them up because it's all the same stuff. I mean, do you, do you realize this is a, let's have these huge, big, massive churches and you start all these problems because you have huge, big, massive churches. And then you get to seem like the authentic Holy Spirit-led, Bible-standing-on prophet (laughs) of the new way to do church by saying that we can correct the stupid idea that we came up with two days ago. It's it's inane. Okay, look, church is not a movement. The church is an institution. It sits there forever, like Jesus says. On this rock, I will build my church. You know what? Uh, what no, did no, that no, no. guy I... say that this is inflexible? <laughs> the church, the structure, that the church is inflexible? Well, it's because it's built on a rock. No, no, no. You, you misunderstood Jesus. What he said was, on this rock, I build this movement. <laughs> <laughs> I establish this movement. No, you don't establish it. I start this movement. No, no. I inspire this movement. Yeah. yeah. On this rock, I inspire this movement. And it's so great that it'll be off the rock in three or four. <laughs> this is this is what this whole missionalist movement should just be. Off the rockers. <laughs> because now yeah. it is not enough for us to have the confession of Christ. We have to have something more. And that's all of... Oh, <laughs> I mean, could you imagine that for centuries the church survived without a mission statement? I mean, how? How did the church make it without Augustine and Ambrose and Luther sitting there saying, the mission of our congregation is to fervently make known the love of Christ among our neighbors and friends? You know what they had before they had mission statements? Well, uh, since you ask, I'll tell you. They had creeds, statements of faith. They talked about the things that God was doing, (laughs) namely saving us, forgiving our sins, covering with his blood, giving us a new conscience, a free conscience, making us into the new creation. Oh, man, these guys, it's so and they and they are like some sort of geniuses. 
I, I was reading Animal Farm the other day. Well, I wasn't actually reading it. Hannah was reading Animal Farm the other day, and I had her <laughs> read me a paragraph. And I thought, this is the church growth movement. What does it say? The inmates are running the asylum. The pigs are trying to sort out how much corn to grow. <laughs> oh, man. Nice. Well, you're going to guess a theologian on this or what? I have no idea. I mean, this, this these theologians are literally a dime a dozen, but... Uh, the one I want to guess, uh, I don't know. I, I can't tell if it's a Lutheran guy or not. That's the problem. I have no, but they, they, none of them sound Lutheran anyway, even if they are. Uh, it could be some sort of emergent church thing. So I think this could be the guy, Rob Bell, uh, the kind of emergent church guru from up in your neighborhood. That's what I'm going to guess. I'm sorry. That's incorrect. Um, yeah. This is uh, that wonderful work published by Concordia Publishing House. In, um, every Man a Minister? Yeah. Is this Every Man a Minister? 1974. Uh, Oscar Fruitt, I guess is how you say it. And Everyone a Minister, A Guide to Churchmanship for Lady and Clergy. So Did you spell Fruitt, F-R-U-I-T? F- <laughs> F-R-U-I-T? Um, oh, <laughs> I get it. Um, anyway, um, it says, uh, <laughs> a guide to churchmanship for laity and clergy. Now, didn't we have the distinction of being um, uh, excellence in Christian journalism uh, for uh, great churchmanship or something like that? Yes. Oh, yeah. And we did that without reading this book first. It's amazing. <laughs> Look at this. Another subtitle. This, this book has two subtitles. The first subtitle is, A Challenge and an Idea to Meet the Crisis Facing Today's Churches. <laughs> This is shock. In 1974. I know. Everybody loves a crisis. <laughs> you know what I think the crisis is? There's not enough obnoxious Lutheran podcasts out there. I think it's I think it's fascinating. We've had a crisis for 40 years, and the solution has stayed the same. <laughs> no, it keeps... The problem has stayed the same. But That's look, the thing. Well, uh, but well, look, the, the, all of the things uh, that I just read about in these quotations are the exact same things they're talking about in the five two network. I mean yeah, it's just yeah. the it's just repackaged garbage. It's like going out to the landfill and finding some uh uh dirty pot and then trying to clean it up and say, Here, honey, here's your uh, Christmas gift. I did I tell you the time that I actually me and a couple of buddies went to the landfill looking for trash from McDonald's? No. Why? I was c I was a hundred percent convinced and I'm I remain ninety five percent convinced. <laughs> That the McDonald's, when they were doing the uh, Monopoly game, we were all playing it, and I got this, the hard-to-get piece that won the Dodge Viper. But I thought that we had the piece already, and I threw it away. Uh-uh. And, we, <laughs> and then I got to the school where we had it in the locker. We skipped school for two days. No, we didn't skip baseball practice. We skipped <laughs> school for two days trying to find that thing. We went through the trash at McDonald's. We went and got permission from the... McDonald's headquarters in Albuquerque to go through their dumpster. We ended up going out to the landfill. <laughs> Alas, no Dodge Viper. No Dodge Viper. Huh. That would have been awkward rolling up to Hope Lutheran Church in your Dodge Viper. <laughs> it would be 20 Smash years old by now. <laughs> All right. We need to uh, go to a commercial break. After this, though, we're going to play Name That Church Body. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Another one bites the dust. Another one bites the dust. And another one gone. And another one gone. 
Have you ever felt like you were all alone in the world? You were probably listening to Table Talk Radio. Name that church body is the game. The way this works is we get three quotations from some church website, usually the statement of beliefs, and now we have to guess which uh, church body or which church this is. And uh, I think, lo and behold, Pastor Wolfner has done a little bit of show prep for this Accidentally. Segment. I accidentally stumbled across this website here. <laughs> so oh, I'll good. go. I got it. This says statement of faith, and we have a handful of topics that you can choose from. I'll tell you what they are. Holy Scriptures, Triune Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, humanity, salvation, uh, sanctification, the church, baptism, Lord's Supper, consummation, and... The personality of Satan. Wow. Interesting. I wonder if he's an uh, introvert or extrovert, like an I-N, <laughs> what are those things, I-N-J, whatever. The Myers-Briggs of Satan. <laughs> that's ridiculous. <laughs> that's ridiculous. Did I tell you my that's ridiculous plan? No. Oh, dear listeners, I, I think I'm for this plan that i have which is different for me i'm normally not for my own plans but and that is where you know if you're in the lutheran church missouri center you might have district conventions coming up and they have standing rules and i was going to suggest a standing rule (laughs) that uh the convention would not hear anything ridiculous so if anybody says anything you could say objection that's ridiculous (laughs) (laughs) and then you'd have to vote to see if a thing is ridiculous (laughs) And if it's ridiculous, it's automatically thing. thrown out. <laughs> that would be the greatest. I move what you just said is ridiculous. <laughs> Second. It's, tr- <laughs> it's true. Okay. You, what you said was ridiculous. The Myers Briggs of the devil. All right. All right. What do you I'm, want to hear about? I'm going to have you uh, talk about humanity. Okay. We believe God created man and woman in his image and likeness as the crown of creation, free from sin to enjoy intimate fellowship with him. Tempted by Satan, INTP, human, uh, humanity voluntarily rebelled against God, resulting in separation from God, a corrupt nature, and death. While still maintaining the image and likeness of God, humanity is now utterly incapable of returning to God apart from a special work of grace. All individuals, except Jesus, are born with a radical and pervasive sin nature that affects one's mind, will, and affections. Humanity lives under the dominion of sin and Satan, NTFP, and is God's hostile, rebellious enemy, unable and unwilling to love God as God. Fallen sinful people's only hope is in the salvation that Jesus alone provides. Okay, um... I think uh, at the onset, we would like to agree with everything you just said, but there's some particular things that we want to take the microscope out on. And if we were able to talk to the person who wrote this or the people of this church, we'd want to just ask them to make a little bit better confession about what is being said here. So, for example, one of the things, and I don't, uh, nece- this isn't necessarily wrong, but I've noticed the, um, the emphasis of the fall affecting our intimacy with God and our separation from God. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, that's not necessarily a wrong or a bad thing, but uh, sometimes churches will emphasize those things 
uh, above uh, the matter of sin and forgiveness. So we want to we want to make sure that we're we're tracking there. But the most interesting thing was is in uh, and I'm paraphrasing um, where it talked about how man is completely incapable of rectifying this problem with God apart from the grace. And uh, I, the, the further question I want to ask someone who's making this confession is, are you saying then if then equipped with grace, then that enables the person to rectify it? So, so yeah, now we... Says, well, go ahead. The, the, the phrase was, humanity is now utterly incapable of returning to God apart from a special work of grace. Yeah. So um, is it that uh, because man is incapable, we are reliant upon Jesus to do the work for us to bring us now back in fellowship with him? Or is it that Jesus does his work to bestow us a some kind of a dispensation of grace, therefore enabling us to rectify our, our situation with God? That's a big difference. And yep. it's a difference in, uh, in seeing the total depravity of, of, of the human race because of sin versus this kind of um, uh, uh, synergism, this kind of cooperation with God to be saved. Yep. So uh, that's going to give me some hints, but I need some more. Let's, By the way, I should also say that the thing that um, it said that we still possess the image of God after the fall. Yeah. Uh, so we want to that that um, I think you can understand that that's wrong. You could understand it in a right way, but you really have to explain it that the image of God is in fact lost in the fall. Right. Because we say then that the image of God is what's being restored in Christ. Right. Um, so if you say that it's not lost in the fall, then that is not something that we received by virtue of um, uh, God's work to save us. So that would mean, then, um, all humanity uh, then bears the image of God. Now, we can say that, that humanity was created in the image of God, but that was uh, lost at the fall. Right. Okay, I want to hear a little bit about sanctification. All right, let's see. God sends his Spirit into the lives of his children to produce a new life, that is modeled and shaped after his son, Jesus. The Holy Spirit actively renews the believer's mind, will, and affections. Oh, yeah, there it is again, that triplet, mind, will, and affections, Mm. to conform to the image of Christ. While sin continues to indwell God's children, they are no longer enslaved to sin's command because the Holy Spirit is at work enabling them to obey Christ's commandments and live such a life that the world will see their good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. The Holy Spirit fills and empowers God's children to persevere in faith and to witness God's redemptive work in the lives, in their lives as they serve others. Bible study, prayer, worship, and confession are spiritual disciplines that the Holy Spirit uses to transform His children into the image of His Son. Mm, that does not make sense. Well, maybe it does. Uh, so, uh, here you want me to send you the link. <laughs> yeah, would you? Um, well, okay. So it's it's fascinating here that that we possess the image of God, but we must obtain the image of His Son. You see the confusion yeah. there? Yeah, and, yeah, I see. And so uh, the Holy Spirit's job is to um, work through what did it say? Bible studies or something like that um, to transform us into the image of His Son. Now. Um, there's a lot right in what you just said. I think that we can affirm uh, a lot of that. But we want to be aware of this teaching that um, uh, who we are uh, in Christ is still being developed. That, that's a, a theology we want to steer clear of. Because what it does is it, acts, it, it, it mixes works into the whole process. 
So if it isn't that we are um, uh, declared righteous, that we receive the perfection and righteousness of Jesus Christ bestowed to us as a gift through faith alone, um, we can't really improve upon that. I mean, that that's as good as it gets. Um, now, of course, then, uh, certainly we, we set out in our Christian life to, to try and live in accordance with God's Word, and, uh, and we fail, and, and sometimes we, we, we show forth uh, fruits of faith in, in, in particular areas of life. But uh, as far as our standing before God is concerned, we are completely righteous for the sake of Christ. And so the Holy Spirit, is. It, there's no need then for the Holy Spirit to transform us in that sense uh, towards the image of his Son. But uh, it is true that um, we're continuing to grow in this. We're, we're living out the faith that's been given. Um, we have about two and a half minutes here. I'll take the last quote unless you have something else to comment nope, on that. Nope. What do you want? Uh, I'll do Lord's Supper. We believe the Lord's Supper is to be observed only by those who have become genuine followers of Christ, <laughs> as opposed to ingenuine followers, I suppose. Uh, this ordinance symbolizes Jesus' sacrificed body and shed blood on our behalf. It is to be repeated often in the Christian life. When we partake of the Lord's Supper with an attitude of faith and self-examination, we remember and proclaim Christ's atonement, we receive spiritual nour- nourishment, and we signify our unity with other members of Christ's body. This is tough because, um, so I'll say here that this is just kind of the generic idea of the Lord's Supper, that it's represent it's a representation, um, memorial meal, that we should do it a lot, et cetera, et cetera. And this could be any um, Protestant denomination or even the the non-denominational denomination uh, ch- churches. So um, this, this, I mean, I didn't catch anything that would uh, really tip us off of, of who, what, what church body you might be reading from, what denomination. Um, I, I was leaning towards kind of a Methodist view in light of um, so something in the John Wesley holiness string. But I think if that were the case, we'd hear a, a lot more in the section of sanctification than what you just read. So I'm going to um, eliminate that. Um, uh, this could be some kind of a generic Baptist church. Um, um, again, some kind of a community church. Um, okay, I'm just going to say uh, some form of a Baptist church. I think you got it. Well, it's close. This is the Rogue Valley Community Church. <laughs> Probably about 20 feet from your house. Nice. <laughs> Rogue Valley Dude. Community Church. That is, yeah, that's, I, um, I think they're a non-denominational church. Yep. Um, right down the street. So um, That's right. The non-denominational denomination. <laughs> what gave it away, you think? What's the, uh, um, I'm going to give you 200 points, by the way. Well, the, the theological anthropology is always going to be a, a huge um, tip-off theologically. Um, so your view of man after the fall is going to be a direct correlation to your view of Christ. And uh, this kind of cooperation once you receive grace is a huge, is a huge mark of kind of current-day e- uh, evangelicalism that we have today. So that was a tip-off. Hey, there thanks for go. listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Where the points are audi opera. <laughs> you pietist. 
Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Table Talk Radio is not for everyone. Please consult your pastor before listening to Table Talk Radio. Remind me next week. Side effects may include nausea, vomiting, hallucinations, aversion to incomplete sentences with aquatic imagery, psychosis, coma, death, alopecosis, lung cancer, brain tumors, sleep gain, internal bleeding, internal combustion, a sudden craving to smell your backseat, claustrophobia, an uncontrollable urge to fight the Calvinists on Twitter, and falling off your treadmill. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org.